Welcome to the DLTO Podcast. My name is Dave Levitt, and on this week's episode, I get on my soapbox about the defund the police movement, and I would have a guest, but I skipped having guests because it's a very busy time, so in fact, I have a bonus surprise for you in that segment. As usual, we have the corn stream recommendation, a dad joke of the week, so sit back, relax, and after a little bit of music, on with the show. And now, this week's Soapbox. Since our last episode, a lot of information about the depth of the problem of systemic racism has come to the forefront of many discussions. Not for everyone, mind you. For people of color, and specifically black people, this wasn't news. It was more of a, yeah, we've been telling you about this forever moment. And while we weren't listening before, and some of us were actually denying it, many are listening now, and that's a start. One of the ideas to make the necessary change that has begun to take shape and really kind of take hold in the public discourse is that of defunding the police. Now, as could be expected, once that term came up, people began to panic. What? You want to defund the police? You want to cancel cops? So, so what, we have no police and we have to investigate our own crime? And are we going to go full purge? Nonsense. When asked about it, Ontario Premier Doug Ford said, I don't believe in that for a second. Down south, the commander in tweet said that his administration would not allow it, even though constitutionally he doesn't have that power. So not everyone is open to the idea of reforming what many people now see and are saying is a very broken system. And I believe, as with most things around this topic, that it is born out of the twin reasons of ignorance and fear. Ignorance of how the current status quo of policing affects black people, and fear of change of a system that prioritizes the safety of white people above that of all others. Now, I should make sure make this very clear. I am hardly an expert in these matters, and I encourage you to read up, as I have, on the ideas behind the defund movement. They are complex, nuanced, and built upon decades of research. In short, they are not some half-assed notion of retribution or punishment against law enforcement, as some have suggested. They are meant to be a shift, away, shift in the way we approach public safety. A very brief description of this is that funding that currently goes towards policing would be reallocated to other areas of social services and public safety, including mental health services and designing a better system to deal with those who live on the street. It is, as I understand it, about how we best serve and protect everyone. The recent cases of Regis Korchinski Parkett, Chantal Moore, Rodney Levi, and that of Sammy Yatin from a couple of years ago are just dramatic reminders that having a police officer to respond to a mental health crisis can end horribly. That the officers responded in a defensive posture was not only tragic, but entirely predictable. No matter how many courses a police officer takes in de-escalation techniques, their core training will affect how they see the world. We can never fully know how those situations, and the many similar ones to them, may have played out had a trained social worker or crisis counselor been in the lead of dealing with them. And again, I say in the lead. Police have a role in those situations, but it should, isn't necessarily in de-escalating and treating and dealing with mental health issues. Because this isn't about simply blaming the officers put into this situation, but rather looking critically at how we want these situations like this to be dealt with. If we don't use these tragedies as an opportunity to learn and do better, then we will not only have lost the chance to improve, but further disrespected the memory of those people who were lost. Closer to home in Toronto, my city, the Toronto Police Services budget is just over a billion dollars. It is the city budget's largest line item by a long shot, representing about 25%. 
So one quarter of our collective money is spent on policing, and yet we don't feel safer than before, especially those citizens who aren't white. So maybe there are better uses of this all that money than just more officers and more cars. The old expression, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure, comes to mind. The idea of redirecting funds to community engagement programs, ones born out of the actual communities in which we are trying to engage, hiring and training more social workers and crisis counselors, and creating the street response teams to help, uh, to help those who live on the street or aren't able to uh, access for affordable housing could go a long way towards reducing the need for police intervention. In turn, this would free up police to do the jobs to which they were trained and originally hired to do. Some of the money could even be directed towards grants for after-school programs for youth and startup capital for small businesses and entrepreneurs. These types of programs could have a long tail towards giving people who have historically been shut out the chance they have previously been denied. So defunding the police is not about taking away money and making us less safe. It's about making sure that more of us feel safe when dealing with the police. Let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. Vegetables! Look, we know it's been a long three months filled with Netflix binges and full-carb meals delivered by your new best friend, the Uber Eats dude, and you're probably feeling a little cramped up downstairs. Are you feeling like the trains aren't running on time? Well, there is no better conductor on the lower colon express than some full fibrous vegetables. So go ahead, toss a salad into the mix. Beat back the delay with broccoli. Cancel constipation with cauliflower. Vegetables. You can order us too. Well, this week doesn't have an interview with anyone. Uh, Not because I didn't want to schedule one, but because this week is a very busy week for me personally. Uh, with regards to uh, the end of the school year. This is crunch time. And so I just couldn't allocate the time to schedule an interview with many of the great guests. And I do have a couple of great guests coming up that I think you're really going to love. So in lieu of that, I'm going to give you a second soapbox because there's a lot going on this week. Well, we've made it. The end of the school year is actually upon us. After having to adjust our teaching style from in-person to virtual in a very short time and struggling through all the growing pains that that entailed, we are almost done. Here in the TDSB, report cards are being finished and proofread and should be emailed to families that last week of June. And man, oh man, are we all ready to close the book on this year. From collective bargaining to strike days and now this, the 2019 school year has been a bumpy one. And with the warm weather and summer vacation calling, you'll pardon everyone if they just say they are just done with it. Usually the summer brings with it a sigh of relief, as I've mentioned before, but this year there's a whole other sense of worry. What does September bring? When Minister of Education Stephen Lecce announced that schools would not reopen this school year, he also said that protocols for resumption of classes in September would be announced by the end of June. Well, here we are halfway through the month and nothing. As students and teachers clean out their belongings, we are all still wondering when we will all be together again and what that might look like. The OSSTF, which is the Secondary School Teachers Union, has expressed deep concerns around the amount of PPE that will be provided, along with the requirements on students to complete a set number of hours to receive their credit. Many elementary educators have echoed those fears, along with the idea of how do we ensure the safety of everyone involved in coming and going from a school. These are huge questions, and so far, there have not been many answers. 
We thought we might get some clues this week when the minister surprisingly announced the reopening of daycare centers. Unfortunately, if this is any indication of what's to come, the questions I mentioned before and a whole lot more will remain unanswered. Soon after the announcement, daycare operators and their boards came out saying they were not consulted at all about the new restrictions and safety rules. Red flag. They were also not told about the announcement that was going to be made, and they were only given three days to implement all the changes. Another red flag. This is not great. This is not what you want. And as one operator of a daycare program said, quote, they wanted a feel-good moment without doing any of the work to achieve it. Look, opening daycares is a very big deal. The fact that parents could leave their children with registered professional daycares and go back to work outside of the home was huge and could be seen as a turning point in this COVID crisis. The problem is, with the level of restrictions, not everyone will be able to benefit from the services. One small example is the limit of no more than eight children in a room with two adults to supervise, meaning a group of 10. That'll leave many people left on the outside wondering if they can get a spot. And the question of who gets those coveted spots still hasn't been answered. Now, take those questions and apply them to the over 2 million students across the province, and you can see how this headaches begin to multiply. Compound that with the need to ensure the safety of school staff, a significant number of whom are in the higher risk categories, and you see the potential storm coming on the horizon. This isn't meant to scare or frighten us, but without a detailed and comprehensive plan to get this done right, maybe we shouldn't just rush back to school in September. Maybe we need to make sure we have a better plan, and that way we can earn our feel-good moment. It's time for the Dad Joke of the Week! Okay, here's this week's dad joke. Can a kangaroo jump higher than the Empire State Building? Of course it can. The Empire State Building can't jump. For this week's corn stream edition, I suggest a podcast. Besides this one, it is Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air. Uh, Larry Wilmore is an American comedian, producer, and writer, and uh, all-around uh, Hollywood talent. Um, Larry has uh, had a hand in many, many shows. If you look up his IMDb page, there's too many to list here. But uh, you'll probably be like, oh, that's right. I love that show. Oh, I love that show. And Larry Wilmer was behind it. Larry Wilmer also had uh, an interesting show that, unfortunately, Comedy Central in the U.S. canceled, I think, prematurely. Uh, so it was the show that followed The Daily Show. It was called The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore, where he would have a panel and often discuss issues of race and that uncomfortable conversations that we're all having now, he was having years and has been having for many years. So you can also look for, he's got some, uh, if you have Crave, you may be able to look up some of his Showtime specials that he did. I would highly recommend uh, checking out Larry Wilmore. Now you can find Black on the Air wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it definitely go check it out. Well, that is our show this week. Uh, I would like to thank you for listening. And uh, for those people who have been listening for a while, thank you for being a, a regular listener. Uh, this is kind of cool to have this platform. It is really a privilege to have it. And I appreciate all of you taking your time to listen to the show. 
So if you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Email suggestions to DLTOPod, that's D-L-T-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. And of course, share, share, share. The more people listen, the better for me and the show. To hear the enhanced edition, please listen to us on the Anchor app at anchor.fm backslash DLTO. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands. Stay safe. Bye for now.